Atonement for Me, Episode 1, The Death of My Best Friend. Usually, I am the person who is absolutely behind the scenes running around and throwing things at people, but it's going to be a little bit different today. Today, we are going to go into Atonement for Me, which is a little bit of a personal project of mine, just to kind of explain the emotions and experiences that go behind a lot of my designs, um, whether it be clothing or paintings. Everything has a story and everything is a little piece of me. And in order to understand those things a little bit more, I'm going to be sharing some of my experiences with you and maybe you'll be able to see a little bit more of what is coming from those designs. So today, well, I am going to be talking about something that happened recently and is obviously a very huge effect on my life right now. So I feel like that's a good place to start. Um, about three weeks ago now, my best friend passed away very suddenly. And that is something that is going to strike anybody right over the head, no matter what stage of life they happen to be in. And obviously it took me extremely by surprise, but also we are living in a pandemic world where we aren't able to have the same closeness with people, the same methods of grieving that we have traditionally. Um, especially since my family and my community that were a part of our lives are back in Ontario and I'm here in Halifax. So it really switches the way I'm going to be able to go forward from this and a lot of other people will be experiencing the same kind of thing. So I didn't have a long history with my best friend as many people do. They have their childhood best friend. They have their college best friend. This is somebody who I met many years ago and only invited into my life and opened up to recently. Um, we went to high school together for two years um, back in Ontario before I left my first high school to go to art school. I was very quiet in high school. I liked to observe people. I didn't really want to be that loud person that brings attention to myself all the time because I'm weird enough as it is. I dress strangely enough and I am perfectly okay with my taste being a little bit eccentric. But not everybody is comfortable with that at age 13, 14, and 15. So 
He came from a different social circle of mine. He was very, very good in school. Uh, he was very, very good at sports. His older brother was one of the star athletes. He was top honors every single year. He was friends with everybody. He kind of was that particularly privileged person who had it all. Whereas I was that moody, artsy kid who was really, really struggling in high school, not just in, in school and in the social circles that come with high school, but just on my own. I had a whole bunch of personal things going on. Um, but we happened to share many of the same class, actually almost all of our classes for the two years that I was at that school, we shared um, our lockers were five apart in freshman year, and he was only one locker over from me in grade 10. So technically, we should have interacted quite a bit in high school, but we didn't because I'm the quiet person who really strove to be invisible, and it clearly worked. Um, and he was a little bit more of the popular kid, friends with everybody. Years later, down the line, I come from a small town, so everybody knows everybody else. So if you add anybody on Facebook, you're going to have like 20 people who know each other. And it was... Last year, nearing the end of the summer, when I got a random Facebook request from this guy that I'd gone to high school with, I knew his name. We had almost 100 people that we shared mutual friends. So I just added him because I remembered his name. Didn't really think anything of it. And he added me because my profile picture was a modeling picture and I was in a bikini covered in cake. So our motivations and our perspectives may be a little bit different. So when he started talking to me, I was kind of, yeah, it's another guy who is just gonna hit on me and say weird things and then remember that we went to high school together and, oh, how come I didn't notice you? I look the same as I did in high school, so there's no excuse there. Um, so when we first started talking, yes, he was interested in the modeling pictures and making more sexualized comments at me, but that happens. But when we actually started talking, he said, we went to high school together. And of course, I remember that because I remember quite a few people that I went to high school with. Um, just names from class lists and people saying their names over the years. And I asked what he remembered of me. And at first he was just like, I, oh, I just remember your name. I remember you being around what do you remember of me? And I said, I remember you were the asshole kid who sat at the back of the class 
and made smart-ass remarks to the teachers and argued with them at all, all points in time just to be kind of a dick about it. And he laughed and said, yeah, that's, that's pretty much who I was. And I said, yeah, I know, I remember. But I also know that you're doing that to kind of deflect from your own insecurities. And that caught him completely off guard because that's not something that he was expecting from me. And I don't think that he really realized that anybody had taken that into account at any point. And he said to me, you're the first person ever to notice when I'm deflecting. And that moment of genuine honesty was that breakthrough moment for the two of us in that he was giving me an in and trusting me with that knowledge. And I was honored and respected to be able to have that perspective on another human being. So it was kind of like at that moment, the floodgates opened. There's very few people in life that anybody truly bears their soul to. We have conversations with our friends and our family and our coworkers, but we tend to tailor ourselves, our comments, our words, and even emotions to fit the relationship we have with those people. And starting from nothing, we weren't friends at any point. We hadn't really spent a lot of time together. Whereas there's many people that were around us that we have been closer to. It was more or less starting from ground zero, even though we had been acquainted. And in doing that, we made an agreement to speak honestly to each other about anything and everything. Because his number one thing is don't take advantage of his kindness. And my thing was don't lie to me. So we established boundaries and a foundation at the very beginning before we even knew we were going to continue talking or even that we were going to be friends. We had already established these kind of boundaries and this open platform for each other to kind of bounce ideas off and have discussions about anything that you wouldn't normally talk to just anybody about. So it could be emotions or experiences, childhood traumas, um, sexual desires or questions. We were able in that one day where we randomly started talking to bring up such a broad spectrum of topics, it was amazing to just explore that with another person. And even kind of thinking back from me, being able to share those things 
with another person. And I don't know why I trusted him right off the bat. And I don't know why he trusted me right off the bat. But somehow we had reconnected and suddenly everything was laid bare. And it was okay. It was a very safe place to be. We talked on text and Facebook and Instagram for probably 16 hours that day. And it was really eye-opening for me to see this person who had been in the background of many of my experiences in my hometown, but I had never really sat down to talk about and the same with him. Now, through the years, especially since high school, I have experienced a lot of traumas. I have anxiety. I have complex PTSD. I have suffered depression. I've had numerous experiences with abuse and sexual assault, um, torture, rape, substance abuse, all of these things weren't things that we normally talked about coming from my hometown. And it's in recent years that I've been really open about talking with them and sharing them with other people and learning from their experiences. So when I started talking very openly to him, it opened his eyes for him to see me and who I am as a person, as opposed to my platform or the things that I present to the world or that quiet girl in high school who would give anything for the teacher not to call on me and have been marked absent from class on several occasions because the teacher didn't realize that I'm just sitting in the front row quietly. That was my goal in high school. Just stick to your friends and be invisible. But it's nice later on, now that I've grown as a person, to be able to be like, no, this is who I am. I don't need to be invisible. I can just be comfortable with who I am and I have enough tools to have a thick enough skin for when people react to that. And so explaining that to him, I became a sexualized object that was just a display picture on Facebook to a human being in a relatively short amount of time. So that's like 12 hours. Having spoken to him for a little bit and him talking about his life and things, I realized that he had a drinking problem. And this was only within talking to him for about 12 hours. And he kind of rolled his eyes at me. He's like, yeah, I know people have been saying that kind of sloughing it off, deflecting from 
his situation because that's not something that a lot of people want to face. And I told him on day two of meeting him, you clean your life up, you get help, you stop drinking, and I'll marry you. And just like that. And I'm not 100% sure why I said that to him, especially since I am extremely traumatized from past relationships and have grown up my whole life saying I never, ever want to get married. That is not a thing that is for me. But I said that to him after 48 hours of reconnecting with him. And that really stuck with him somehow. So going forward, talking to him, he opened up every facet of his life to me. We would be talking all the time on the phone, on video chat, on text. He'd call me in the car on his way home to wo from work. I'd text him on my break during work. We shared everything together. And in doing so, he was able to talk out a lot of reasons why he drank and how he'd gotten to that point and the frustrations that he had with how people around him perceived that and coped with that and enabled him. And whereas I'm coming from a standpoint of mental health, and I have always come from a standpoint of mental health, I think I was the first person to ask him, how can I support you? What do you need? How can I help you? And he would joke all the time about, oh, you're my therapist. But we had that connection of that open forum and that went both ways. So I was able to tell him insecurities and traumas that I had not even processed yet, that I wasn't comfortable telling my closest girlfriends or previous partners or, or family members. And it was amazing to be able to talk to somebody and not have any judgment. Just being able to be authentically you and have them see you as a human being, hear what, what you had to say, your story, your emotions, your thoughts without judgment and he was able to understand things in a way that I couldn't put to a canvas when I'm creating something or put to paper if I was trying to write it out so I was able to figure out the words to say he just 
got it. And I could cry in front of him. I could scream in front of him. He could cry in front of me. He could scream in front of me. And that wouldn't make me think any less of him. It just gave me more of him that I was able to understand and put together in this jigsaw that was this new fixture, fixture, sorry, in my life. And I think it was probably not even 10 days that we were talking that he said, I love you. And then realized what he said and was just like, oh, um, I didn't mean to drop the L-bomb on you. I'm just kidding. In the way that he has always been so cavalier and nonchalant about everything. When I I called him on that, he goes, no, I actually mean that. And you don't have to say it back. And I'm, I am and have always been really uncomfortable with telling people that I love them. I'm scared of it. I have really, really deep trust issues. And my love language is more actions. Actions speak louder than words to me. And I explained that to him. And he said, oh, well, I'll show you. And I naturally didn't trust him, um, especially since he has a girlfriend who he lives with. I'm in Halifax. None of this logically makes sense. And traditionally, he's always been the more logical person, went to school for finance, really good with numbers. I'm the person who was English and arts and visual arts. He fit into my idea of what growing up in my hometown was. You graduate from high school, you go to university, you get your job, you you get a house, you, you do all of the things that you're supposed to do and that you're raised to, to do because his upbringing was very, very similar than mine. But that's not the path that I followed. And I thought that that was the kind of path that I wanted. But listening to him... He felt so trapped and he was stuck inside himself and that's why he drank and that's why he was an asshole to everybody and that's why he made smart ass comments to everybody else because he was trying to push them so far away. And he did that with his words. I do the exact same thing with actions because I don't always have those words and I don't want to be hurtful with my words. So things progressed from there and I went from my entire life before him to always having him, not physically, 
at my side, but he was always there. We would even fall asleep on the phone together. And he became my rock. He didn't talk down to me. He saw me as a person and he didn't try to fix me. He just listened to me and accepted me and loved me just the way that I was. And he's a talker and has told everybody that he's close to that I saved his life. He showed me how to be warm and vulnerable, but also how to trust and care in such a safe environment that I hadn't had before. And when we argued, coming from an abusive background, we were able to debate as opposed to argue. We were able to hear where each other were coming from and resolve it as opposed to screaming at each other or name calling or things being thrown, which was something that the both of us from our past have gotten used to. And we were both discovering that there is a different way of being. And I guess it was kind of the light bulb moment for the both of us that things could be different. We got into a fight in January, it must have been. And I called him up on some of his bullshit. And I said, he said he loved me. And I said, prove it. Because of a whole bunch of things that were going on in both of our lives. And he said, okay, I will. I'm not used to anybody keeping their word to me. And instead of banking it for this is going to be something that I'm going to do going forward, he got in his car (laughs) and started driving to Halifax in the middle of winter with no forethought or planning. He hadn't seen me in person in 15 years. And we got in an argument. And to apologize, he gets in his car and decides to drive halfway across the country. 
He didn't make it. <laughs> he got to Quebec and hit a snowstorm and was having a really hard time mentally. And I think that's when his drinking kind of Kate got him to rock bottom and kind of went crazy from there. So luckily that was the catalyst for him to get help because he ended up in the hospital. But that's also when he stopped drinking. And I've had so many addicts in my life. Not understand how much the people who are around them, who love and support them, hurt seeing them like that. And that moved him to stop. And that was worth more to me than I can ever explain to anyone. And I could never, I could never explain that to him. So right when COVID had started to happen, I'd been planning, we'd been planning on me going to Ontario to go and visit him and stay with him and kind of see where we stood and what life would be like with the two of us. And unfortunately, the pandemic happened. And speaking every day, all day, every day before the pandemic and then Everything in the world changed when the pandemic hit. And we talked a lot about that. And we we were coping with it in different ways. I'm more comfortable in isolation and being away from other people. And he's definitely, he was definitely a people person and needed to be around people. And I was his lifeline for that. And he was my touch of reality in my own little bubble. And going from having that and bonding with that to radio silence. And it's, it's like a piece of my soul is gone without him. And it was a piece of my soul that I lost a long time ago and that had died in high school. And he gave me back that piece of me and he gave me back all those things that I lost. And I talked to him right before he died. And 
He said, I'll never be able to thank you enough for saving my life. And what he never understood was he saved mine. That everything that I meant to him and that I'd shown him, he'd given and shown to me. And he said, I don't know what life is going to be like going forward. But the day after we met, you said that you'd marry me if I stopped drinking. And that had stuck with him. He, in the beginning, had made fun of me for going to therapy, and he actually went to a therapy session and actually was working on his mental health. He was making so many improvements to make his life better. And I saw that. And I was so proud of him. And I couldn't even explain to him how proud I was of him. And I tried. And I would always tell him how proud I was and how much I appreciated him. But I only ever said I love you maybe three times. And that's my fault. That's on me. Because the last conversation I had with him on the phone, he said, no matter what, I'll always love you. And I said, don't be stupid. Call me when you wake up. And he never woke up. And this happened three weeks ago. And I'm still waiting for him to wake up. Every time my phone goes off, I think it's finally him that he's going to finally get back to me. And there's a little voice in my head saying, you know he's not. But there's another part of my head saying, it's not real. It can't be real. How is this possible? He's not gone. And I've been having that war with those two little voices in my head for the past three weeks. And also, there's this little voice in my head saying, you idiot, you should have said I love you to him. Every time you ever thought about it, you should have been brave enough to lay your feelings on the line just as he was brave enough. And that's something that I will always kick myself for. 
And I know that I was there for him and I showed him how much I loved him. But I still carry that with me. And having lost somebody in a pandemic where I can't hug other people who are grieving with me for the same thing has made his sudden death and the entire surrealness of our brief relationship, encounter, bond, whatever you want to call it, it makes it more surreal. Because the people here around me who love and support me have wanted to be with me and say that everything's okay and, and to be comforting. But it's not okay. And I end up spending more of my time comforting them as they cry and they take on my pain that I haven't been able to process my own hurt, my own grief, because I haven't let it sink in and be real. And this is part of why I'm sharing this with you is to make it real. Not that I want it to be. Because we have rituals from the before the pandemic of ways that we accept closure. So funerals or wakes or celebrations of life, getting together with your friends, getting together with their friends, their family, so you're able to share your love of that individual. And that's something that is stinted currently with the way things are now. So the way we express our pain, our grief, are a little bit different now. And so we have to kind of experiment on ways that we're able to process um, in a healthy way. This is one of the ways that I am processing, that I am sharing the way that I was able to share with him so that people see me. And in that, I want to be brave enough in the way that he believed that I was. And be able to show that in a way that is not just secret messages in my designs. So it's a way of me being a little bit more open and seeing where that goes. Because a lot of people right now are grasping for 
that closeness, that human interaction, that connection. So thank you for opening that connection with me. And thank you for listening as I try to further that connection. So my tea is getting cold right now. So I'm going to let everything I just said sit with you and me both. So thank you.